So it is very strange, isn't it? The US economy is slowing, but consumers are still spending. The labour market is still tight. That is why bond yields are rising, because clearly there's the expectation that the Fed has to do even more. But how much more? What's it going to take? And why, when equity suggested that there was a concern of a big downturn, when GDP numbers give us another sign that that downturn is actually happening, do equities rally? Confused? Well, we'll try and make some form of logical sense from it all. It is Friday. It's the 28th of April, 2023. It's the morning call from NAB. Good morning. And we will give you the news on Intel and Amazon. They have just re- uh, reported. But at the close in the US, the US equities bounce back today. The Nasdaq is up 2.4%, 2% for the S&P 500 and 1.6% for the Dow. It's a win across all sectors. Even financials are up 1.6%. So that storm seems to have blown over for now. And bond yields up. 10-year treasuries up 8 basis points, up 10 in Canada, up 6 for 10-year German bond yields and UK 10-year gilt yields are the same. European shares, incidentally. They're a little mixed. The Eurostoxx 50 is up a quarter percent. The FTSE 100 is down a quarter percent. And in the US, it's shares in the energy sector that are faring the worst, even as oil has come back a bit today. WTI is up 0.6%. Brent up about 0.8%. Brent well over $78 a barrel now. Uh, The US dollar has edged up ever so slightly. The euro is down 0.1%. The pound is up 0.2%. The Aussie, uh, one of the bigger movers, is up over 0.4%, over 63.3 US cents. Aussie 10-year bond yields, by the way, uh, up seven basis points yesterday to 3.37%, up another seven on futures overnight, up around 3.44% this morning. So definitely in the ascendancy for now. So last one of the week, and we are going to spend it with Ken Crompton at NAB in Sydney. Uh, Morning, Ken. I mean, it seems like the Fed is having an impact. If we look at those GDP numbers for Q1, well down in the United States, uh, but the things that they want to control, jobs and prices, well, they have been less successful with that. We'll talk about that, but let's start with that GDP read, first of all. I mean, it, it did undercut expectations by quite a mark, didn't it? And they also revised down Q4 GDP as well, I think. So uh, the economy is definitely slowing. Yeah, good morning, Phil. Uh, certainly that was the the outcome on the, on the growth side of the of the GDP data overnight, I think we got a 1.1% Q on Q. Oh, sorry, well, 1.1% annualised, I should say, for for growth during first quarter. Yeah, well under consensus. That was at 1.9. I mean, look at the balance of some of where the subcomponents have come out. It certainly does tell that that story that you were you're implying there. I mean, we've seen continued weakness in investment, um, a collapse in um, in inventories in particular, and yet what that was offset by was uh, an astonishingly strong number for. For, uh, for government spending, uh, as well as a as well as quite a resilient um, consumption, so three point seven percent because of sort of consumption growth across the quarter. So, I mean, if we think back to what was going on in some of that early Q one data, the great uh, the great issue we were trying to figure out during February was whether the you know, whether it was just sort of warm weather supporting some un- unseasonal consumption, or whether it was a genuinely hot economy. And I guess this um, this data maybe does go a little bit of a way to to sort of answering that. But yeah. um, you compare that with where prices went and that. that sort of becomes a bit of a perplexing picture. Well, yeah, I mean, prices, so the PC price index was uh, up 4.2% compared with 3.7% in Q4. And if you take out food and energy, then it actually rose to 4.9% from 4.4% last time. So, uh, you know, as you say, lower investment, falling inventories, slow growth, 
it's the worst of all, and then rising prices, the worst of all possible worlds for the Fed, isn't it? Yeah, and that core PCE number in particular, that, that is the Fed's sort of preferred measure of, uh, of of inflation. I mean, you can also tear it apart into um, X rents, but um, but still, if you've got the core, core measure there sitting at 4.9%, yeah, that's still well above well above Fed target territory and having that accelerate through Q1 is uh, is somewhat ominous. You know, we'll, we'll get the... Um, We'll get some tear down tonight of exactly what the monthly breakdown of that was. It may well show there were sort of revisions earlier in the quarter rather than acceleration during March. I guess we'll we'll see where that lands. But and certainly in terms of the market response, that uh, the, the inflationary side of 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 the number was was certainly what markets latched onto as you talked about with those big rises in, in treasury yields. You know, back above three point five percent for ten year, two year nearing nearing four point one again. You know, I mean that's still a pretty hefty discount to where the Fed funds is, of course. You know, if that's going to get to five and a quarter, maybe even five and a half. Um, you know, two year treasuries at four point one still do look. Uh, to look relatively well, low in a yield sense. Yeah, well, maybe they haven't finished yet. Uh, there's always that possibility, isn't there? Uh, and people are saving as well. That's the interesting thing. So, I mean, that's future potential demand as well. I can sort of understand that because, you know, just thinking about your own, uh, you know, your own personal behaviour, if you feel as though the economy is going to go through a tough time, then you're going to try and save a bit so you've got a bit of a buffer. So maybe that's what's going on there. But the other side of the equation, the other, you know, the, the other big number, uh, it's not normally a big number, but it seems to be a big number these days, the weekly jobless claims, uh, and those claims fell again, 16,000 to 230,000 for the week ending April the 22nd. So that tight labour market is staying as tight as ever. Yeah, and that's certainly the number that uh, sort of, it, it's the best high frequency read that we get on the US labour force. And yeah, there's been an intense scrutiny on that because we've seen big announcements of layoffs across tech, across the tech sector, you know, a, a few layoffs across finance, those sort of things. And those just have, in general at this point, just refused to sort of come through to the jobless claims. And that still doesn't seem to be happening yet with that surprise drop last week. Mm. I mean, look, you, you, you can certainly argue that there is, a, there is a trend going on there of very slow rises, but there's certainly nothing calamitous. And, you know, I guess that would sort of yeah, just as I mentioned before, that yeah, two-year treasuries look look pretty low. I mean, that's because we've got massive rate cuts priced in, you know, beyond the middle of this year. So you know, if we're looking at this environment of yeah, lackluster growth, but inflation is still holding up, um, you know, spending still holding up okay, then maybe that doesn't mean you need to have the Fed go to you know five and a half or six. But what it probably does mean is that you're lingering around with this five handle for a lot longer. Well, we're not going to see apparently. Yeah, we're not going to see that that happening in the second half of the year, are we? Those rates are not going to come down, surely. No, that's, uh, I mean, look, look, the, the, our, our forecasts do have do, do have some cuts for the Fed coming, but I think um, you know where market pricing is at at the moment, though pricing is, is still arguably overdone for that. So that sort so, of strikes us as the biggest risk to rates everywhere, really. And look, the Kansas Fed Manufacturing Index. I know this is you know definitely a second tier release, but it's interesting. I did dip into that just to see some of the you know just to get a bit of colour. Uh, because, I mean, we did see that. I mean, the index itself is well down from 3 to minus 21, which is the lowest since October when it was minus 22. Uh, so almost the lowest it's been for more than 12 months. But some of the colour comes from the comments. So here's one of them. Uh, one, one respondent saying, we have 10% increase or more in the cost of materials. We have 7% increase in the cost of labour when it's available. Uh, we've raised prices 5%. We can't do it anymore. Hard to make money this way. And there's quite a few comments about rising prices still and the difficulty in recruiting people. I mean, that seems to be, I mean, maybe they hand-selected all the bad comments, but that definitely seems to be, you know, the, the the spirit of what they're seeing in that report. Yeah, I mean, look, I haven't looked into the detail of that exact report too much myself, but you are sort of seeing, you, you are seeing similar anecdotes to that across a lot of the, the regional Fed surveys. And I guess the most interesting thing, to the extent that you're starting to see, um, you know, difficulty in... Uh, 
maintaining margins, let alone increasing margins as your costs go up. I mean, that's been the the big one of the big dynamics behind inflation over the past couple of years has been that as these price pressures come through, people across lots of sectors have been able mm. to to raise prices with it. If they're starting to be, yeah, yeah, in, increased pressure there, then I think that's um that, that that's a very important sign. I mean, you know, another sort of anecdote, a different level like that. I think I was talking to you last week about how Tesla had announced big price cuts across the US. So once again, yeah, there's some margin compression, you know, go, go, going on. Yeah, yeah, isolated. But which, uh, yeah, which, if it broadens, then but if we start, if it starts to pick up, then maybe that does start to bring prices down, and uh, we start to get inflation down. But tell you what is coming down: uh, pending home sales, well down five point two percent four month on month in March. It was expected they might lift a little, uh, so that's a twenty three percent drop year on year, which is which is pretty massive. And yet we've had uh, new home sales have been holding up, uh, but because I think there's not enough previously owned houses, so. Uh, people don't want to sell, obviously, if, if the house prices are falling. But home developers, I guess they've got to sell. If they've built the thing, they've got to sell it. And they're having to knock prices down to do that. So uh, interesting dynamics going on there. Let's not dwell on that too much. The the employment cost index, though, tonight in the US, that's the crucial number, isn't it? Because we're you know, looking at all the circumstantial evidence, there's a chance it's not going to be a good number. I mean, the core number is expected to fall a bit, but maybe it won't, given what we've been seeing. Yeah, I think the, uh, the 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 survey number there at the moment is is one point one. Yeah, I guess arguably some of the pressures in in labour force over the past couple of past over the beginning of the year in the US probably, you know, I, I don't have an exact forecast number in mind for, for where that might land, but but that is the the important sort of looking for a forward looking number for for the Fed. But you know, every central bank is watching their their la- their labour cost indicators or, or or their equivalent. So um, yeah, you know, one point one's in there at the moment. I think if you did get a significant, uh, if you did get a, a number higher than that, that's probably going to be another you know another dent for bonds that would probably see yields there go higher and probably probably see that US curve yes yeah, sort to of continue to flatten again. I, I would expect. Well, it makes perfect sense why we're seeing bond yields rise. I, I'm just a little bit confused about the enthusiasm we're seeing. Again. Again, back in the equities market, I mean, it's uh, I, I guess it's it's being driven by big tech, isn't it? We talked about uh, Facebook yesterday. We got Amazon, obviously, today as well. We'll look at that in a moment. But uh, uh, you know, those pure tech plays like Microsoft and Facebook really driving those prices up, and it seems to be pulling the rest of the market behind it. So even the banks, as I said, are doing well today. So quite a bit of enthusiasm. I mean, the, the money's got to go somewhere, I guess. And that's you know, so it's finding itself in equities today, anyway. Yeah, I mean, I think the. Um the sort of dent that discount factors have done to some of those tech valuations, you know, maybe the worst of that is sort of has sort of been done. And I guess, you know, expectations of rate increases from here, you know, are really not going to, are still not really exceeding levels that were priced back within the past, past couple of months. So maybe that's helping, um, sort of helping support some of those valuations of the loop. But then, you know, really it is all, it is all about the earnings, which, which there's been consistent beats from some mm-hmm. of the bigger, from some of the bigger tech names. So yeah, I, who was, was a little bit surprised to see at a night where you're pricing, um, you know, a little bit more rate increases that you're going to have the Nasdaq well and truly leading up about two and a half percent. Yeah, last time I looked, but um, yeah. yeah, but at the moment we're sort of coasting on the strength of of earnings, which I don't think is too too unreasonable at this point. Yeah, well, you don't have to worry about labour costs. That's the, that's the one thing you can say about the tech sector because I mean, first of all, they've laid off so many people, but also it's just such a small proportion of their, uh, you know, their business. So I mean, if you've got uh, Facebook, for example, I think they, uh, you know, they they've laid laid off about a, what is that, about a quarter of their workforce so there's about 60,000 people left and they're hoping to make 32 billion in Q2 that's half a million per worker 
so labour costs become a little less important when you're looking at that sort of uh, ratio, don't they? So, uh, but the the market hasn't really blinked on the news that the UK regulators are stopping Microsoft buying Activision Blizzard. I mean, in fact, Activision's share prices up today because they've had strong earnings too. But the other news in the in the states, uh, the debt ceiling. Uh, that uh, I mean, that just continues being thrown backwards and forwards, doesn't it? I mean, the, uh, we've seen this so many times before, the toing and throwing. Uh, the Republicans have asked for too much in the way of cuts to government spending, uh, as far as the Democrats are concerned. So we're getting the usual argy-bargy. Uh, there might have been a time when markets would respond to that, but I feel like we've seen it so many times before, and it always gets resolved in the end, doesn't it? Yeah, that's certainly the paradigm markets are operating under at the moment. Yeah, as I said previously, it's a, it's maybe it's a, it's a little bit different this time with a new, um, you know, re- Republican uh, House trying to flex their muscle a little bit. But um, in terms of market reaction, it's it's the usual things we're seeing where some of those uh, short-dated US Treasuries or short-dated US Treasury bills that mature on some of the key dates are starting to show a little bit of stress. So sort of very uh, very short-duration Treasury yields are starting to, to fall a little bit if they mature before some of these key dates in mid-June. I'm seeing some analysis pointing to, you know, I guess, uh, you know, a sort of a, a gap that can, that can occur between mid-June and, and late-June. Um, there's the ability to actually access an extra pool of funding from those yes, special purpose measures that they often activate in these times um, from late June, but there could potentially be a bit of a gap of a couple of weeks in mid-June. So that may be the point we start to see as the, as the crystallisation for, a, you know, for, for an actual event in we'll this, be there in no this time, process. Uh, Bank of Japan meets today, of course, the first policy decision led by Governor Ueda, uh, who's uh, been talking in support of yield curve controls rather than lifting rates. So presumably it's going to pass without incident, uh, well, unless he says something. Well, yeah, I think it could potentially be interesting. I mean, look, our, our base expectation is for no changes to either policy or yield curve control. And as you said, you know, um, the, the incoming or the new governor has been at great pains to to say in, in recent comments that there, that there won't be no change or that a change could be significant and will need to be considered carefully. Yet, um, and also the theory that this is his first meeting, so he might want to start softly. But then, um, you know, um, the previous governor, um, you know, Governor Kuroda, kicked things off very aggressively very early in his term with with the original QQE program to start with. Um, you know, when the when the bodge went took policy rates negative, I think that might have been in about 2015, you know, there was speeches by senior bodge officials you know, a, a week before the announcement saying that negative rates weren't on the table and, and weren't a great idea, yet they turned around and did that. So the, the bodge certainly has a habit of surprising. Looking at where market um, sort of expectations are at, um, you know, 10-year uh, JGB yields are trading back up towards that... Um, are trading back up towards that zero point five percent upper end of the target band, but not not as close as they were for the previous meeting in February. And also, the other measure that we'd look at is, um, is swap spreads, which is sort of a, a less a measure the bodge has less control over. Those aren't as as at extreme levels either. So there's some wariness in the market. Something might happen, but it's not um, not quite as acute an expectation. But still, it, it's almost certainly going to happen before you know. By, by or around mid-year, we think. Well, very quickly, obviously, the US employment cost index is the big number today, but also European and Canadian GDP numbers are released tonight and German CPI data as well. So we've, you know, we've we've just had GDP numbers for the United States. We see an an economy that is starting to slow. What if the European numbers shows that they're not slowing to the the same extent? I mean, what does that do currency-wise, for example? 
if anything. Well, it probably helps sort of bake in these expectations that uh, that the Eurozone economy in, in general is just uh, not facing the, the massive challenges that everyone immediately assumed, well, including us had assumed, um, out of the out of the situation in the Ukraine. So, um, yeah, I mean, the exact currency implications, I guess, have actually become a little bit muddied by what's gone on in the US overnight. If you've got these... Um, uh, you know, in, in persistent inflationary fears, keeping Fed expectations higher than the yield differentials, um, the yield differential picture, which is one of the more important drivers for currencies, that becomes a bit, a bit muddied. If you've got higher rate expectations in the US, you know, and potentially out of Europe tonight, if if growth there proves robust, then um, yeah, the, the, the picture isn't necessarily clear. But I mean, look at a at at, at a base level, um, you know, if we did did find that eurozone growth held up, yeah, sort of stronger than we thought through. Through Q1, that's hardly going to be a negative for the for the currency. Right. Okay. Um, well, we'll see what happens. And obviously, earnings is very important as well. So we'll look at that right now. But I'll say goodbye for now, Ken. Thanks for giving us your perspective this morning. Good to talk. Cheers. Thanks, Phil. And yes, it is another win for the tech sector. The Intel earnings report saw revenue beat expectations, 11.7 billion versus 11 billion expected. And Amazon, uh, their revenue up 127.5 against 124.5 billion, just 3 billion over the estimate. That's all. Earnings per share, 0.31 versus 0.22 expected. Uh, the tech sector doing very well again, it seems. So we can guess what that's going to do to equities in the Friday session in the United States. We are back on Monday for now. I'm Phil Dobby for NAB. Thanks for listening. See you next week.